Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to The Underwear Chronicles. This is a side project of The Past and the Curious, and my name is Mick Sullivan. So, uh, this is episode three of The Underwear Chronicles. If you don't know about what these are, these are, it's, it's a lot like an episode of The Past and the Curious. However, there's just one story. It's a little bit longer than a normal story. And the famous person involved, somehow their underwear is going to make an appearance in the story. So this episode is probably going to sound a little familiar to some of our longtime listeners. It's about Buster Keaton and some of the details of the story and some a little bit of the writing is going to be the same as what you've heard in uh, like three years ago. Um, but this is a new version of the story. It's been rewritten, it's been re-edited and uh, there's underwear in it. There wasn't underwear in the last one, I don't think. But it's a really fun story about one of my favorite actors, filmmakers, comedians of all time, Buster Keaton and his underwear. Buster Keaton only went to school one day in his life. His dad figured some time in the classroom might be good for the boy. So one day he woke him up early, got him dressed and sent him on his way. At the end of the day, the youngster came home with a note from the teacher asking that he not return. He was sent home for being too funny. It seems that Buster cared more about making his fellow classmates laugh than listening to his teacher's instructions. Mm-mm. If only there had been a fire drill that day, perhaps she could have seen his true value, and not to mention his underpants. Plenty of people can say that they had an unusual childhood. However, not very many can say that they were thrown across a stage every night, that they got their nickname from Harry Houdini, or that this nickname came as a result of a terrifying childhood accident. Buster could say all of this, and though his birth name was Joseph, he would almost never hear anyone use it. His parents were vaudeville performers, which was a popular entertainment before the days of TVs and radios and smartphones. Vaudeville shows included acts of music, comedy, drama, magic, and more, all staged for a live theater audience. When little Joseph was too young for underwear and was making messes in his diapers instead, he was packed along with his parents, who performed with a vaudeville group that included legendary escape artist Harry Houdini. Even as a toddler, Joseph Keaton was a rambunctious and fearless little fellow. One day, he scurried off and found himself staring down a long flight of stairs without batting either one of his big brown baby eyes. His parents were not close enough to react, or didn't really care about the long fall that awaited their child. Either way, they weren't winning any Parent of the Year awards. There was a right way to use steps, and a bunch of wrong ways to use steps. On this day, little Joseph Keaton demonstrated one of the wrong ways. One of the wrongest ways, actually. One by one, top over toes, the poor little guy thumped and thudded his way down every step. To anyone watching, the tumbling toddler probably seemed to move in horrifyingly slow motion. He finally came to a merciful rest at the bottom. The boy sat up, looked a little dazed for a moment, and then shook himself back to normal. No tears, no pain, no problem. The adults nearby breathed a sigh of relief. 
Years later, Keaton said that it was Harry Houdini himself who scooped the fallen boy up off the ground and exclaimed, That was a real buster! It became both a nickname and a way of life. Buster just seemed to have a knack for falling and not getting hurt. As soon as he could walk, he was on stage with his parents, and the comedy act became a family affair. Sure, having him on stage was a way to keep the little squirt out of trouble, but the Keatons also made use of their three-year-old's natural abilities. Part of the act required him to disobey his father on stage. Luckily, this came naturally to him, as it does for most kids of his age. The other part of the act required him to be picked up and thrown through the air. Gasp. Now, nothing like this would be allowed to happen today, and it certainly shouldn't. But every night when the curtain went up, Buster's dad would heave him across the stage, hurl him out a fake window, even chuck him into the audience. And with a limber body and a straight face, because no one likes it when you laugh at your own jokes. Just kidding. I laugh at mine all the time. The kid just got right back up time and time again. The audience didn't know what to make of it at first. It's certainly shocking to see a kid go sailing across a room. But when he gets back up and asks for more, well, I guess that can be pretty entertaining. Anytime someone inquired with concern about Buster's well-being, he could show that his falls left him with no bumps, no bruises, and no broken bones. He was a natural-born tumbler. Eventually, though, he got a little too heavy for his dad to toss with ease. The smaller the kid, the easier it is to get a good throwing grip. Once a kid gets to be around school age, it can be really hard to keep the proper form needed to launch him into a crowd full of people. They say necessity is the mother of invention, but one could also call it the father of forward motion. Mr. Keaton devised a solution to the whole tossing your growing kid dilemma, and it took the form of something Buster wore underneath his stage suit. Peeking out of a hidden incision in his fancy clothes were a pair of old suitcase handles attached to stout fabric worn underneath the outfit. Now with ease, Papa Keaton could grab those suckers and seriously send his son sailing. Buster flew across vaudeville stages for as long as he reasonably could. But eventually, he got far too heavy for his old man to toss, even with the underwear handles. It was for the best, though, because by the time Buster was a young man, silent films had taken the world by storm. Vaudeville was quickly replaced by motion pictures on the silver screen as the most popular entertainment, even though the movies of the day didn't have any sound. A childhood career of making people laugh with a straight face and perfect pratfalls put him in a great position for the new art form. The seemingly indestructible young man was tailor-made for moving pictures, and before long, he was one of the biggest stars. It wasn't just because people couldn't believe the stunts he pulled. He was also hilariously funny and could tell a story without saying a single word. In a movie, more people than ever could watch him risk his neck and then wonder how he never got hurt. Grabbing a hold of a passing car to make a hasty getaway is a terrible idea, but Buster did it. Falling down a flight of stairs is a terrible idea, but Buster did that over and over again. And 
Each of these times it was on purpose. Running inside of a steamboat's moving paddle wheel like a giant hamster is also a terrible idea. But Buster did that too. Theater audiences gasped and laughed, just as he had hoped his fellow classmates would have done on his only day at school all of those years before. Sometimes his stunts were so dangerous that the camera crew couldn't bear to watch. When he arranged for the entire front of a house to fall on him, they simply turned the camera on and walked away. They expected him to be flattened like a pancake, but he was confident in his calculations. And as the dust settled after the incredible collapse, there stood Buster, standing safely in the space of an open window without even a scratch. That falling facade became one of his most famous feats. With acts like this, Buster proved to be so good that he earned more and more control of his movies. He wasn't just a stone-faced star and super stuntman. The little kid who used to get thrown around by his underwear also became his own writer and director. And in 1926, he decided to make his masterpiece. If you think the American Civil War is a strange subject for a silent comedy, you're not alone. Most of the theater audiences at the time did too. The General, as it was known, was not very popular when it was released, but today it is not just considered one of Buster's greatest achievements, but also one of the most important movies ever made. The General also featured the most expensive scene ever shot for a film up until that time. For the cost of $40,000, which is over half a million dollars today, Buster engineered an explosive train crash that brought a giant locomotive from the top of a high wooden bridge to the bottom of a river in a matter of seconds. Special effects were very basic at the time, and CGI was almost a century away, so the ambitious scene had to happen in real life. Of course, you can only destroy a bridge in a real locomotive train once, so they'd only get one shot to get the moment on film. Knowing there was going to be a once-in-a-lifetime spectacle, 4,000 eager spectators came to take their only chance at seeing such a crazy sight. For obvious reasons, the train would need to be empty when it chugged over the bridge. But Buster was a stickler for detail. Inside, the crew placed several dummies with papier-mâché heads to give the appearance of soldiers on board. No one thought to tell the spectators on the banks about the fake bodies, though, so when the train chugged into view, there was growing concern for the men that they thought were still on board. Then, the bridge collapsed in a fantastic display of fire and smoke. The lumbering locomotive tumbled and plunged into the river like a baby buster heaved into a pool by his father. At this point, excitement gave way to panic for a few in the crowd. As one of the fake heads came floating down the river with no body, a woman screamed in mistaken fear until she passed out. <coughs> had she or any of the other onlookers stuck around for a few more days, they would have had a very real reason to panic. For the movie's climactic battle scene, Buster hired 500 Oregon National Guard members to play soldiers in the heated contest, 
Men would run in one direction wearing Union blue uniforms, then they'd quickly strip down to their undershirts and drawers and put on Confederate gray uniforms and run the other direction, looking like opposing soldiers. Adding to the realistic chaos of the battle, cannons and rifles were fired in all directions. The weapons weren't loaded, but each one was still igniting with very real sparks and flames. Sparks and flames are a terrible match for the dry brush and grass of the Oregon countryside, which is exactly where they were shooting the scene. And a brush fire is exactly what happened. Buster was the kind of guy who came prepared with hoses and tanks of water and a ready crew. Fire didn't come as a total surprise to him, but the speed and intensity of the blaze that popped up, that sure did. In about the same amount of time it took a diapered baby buster to fall down a flight of stairs, fire spread in all directions. Flames surrounded the extras, the crew, the movie star himself, quickly devouring whatever was in its path. 500 National Guardsmen who had doubled as Union soldiers, tripled as Confederate soldiers, now had to quadruple as firemen. Without hesitation, the men sprung into action only to realize that while they had enough people to fight, they were short on water. In order to save the countryside, as well as the nearby town in the fire's path, they would need a water-free way to extinguish the fire. With flames dancing around his legs and smoke stinging his eyes, Buster did what anyone would do. He took off his pants. Fighting a fire is brave. Fighting it in your underwear with your dramatically divested trousers is another thing entirely. Ignoring the singed leg hair and shin burns on his now bare skin, Buster frantically slammed his pants into the fire surrounding him, beating it down until it left smoking spots of charred soot. Others on the set looked to the movie star and found inspiration. Soon, hundreds of pants were smacking the ground and the field was filled with men in dirty white drawers peeking through the dissipating dark smoke. The passioned, pantless performance worked, and as they beat the fire into submission, others were able to use the remaining water to finish the job. Standing in his skivvies, surveying the aftermath, Buster took pride in his quick thinking. His selfless action had inspired others to shed their slacks when duty called. A few weeks later, they took a less stressful break from filming when the National Guard held a ceremony to make him an honorary captain, both for his display of bravery and underwear. But mostly the bravery. Buster continued making movies after the general, despite the initial lukewarm reaction to the movie. Nothing else he made was quite as ambitious or revealing. When talkies, or movies with sound, made it to the theaters at the end of the 1920s, his career began to slow down. Maybe his brand of humor wasn't made for movies with sound, or maybe his body just couldn't take any more of the demanding stunt work that made him famous. Either way, Buster Keaton has gone down in history as one of the most important physical comedians, directors, and movie stars of his era. He will always be remembered as someone who put his body on the line to get the job done. Whether that meant flying across the stage, letting a house fall on him, or fighting a fire in his underwear, he was always eager to do what no one else could. And if it made people laugh, all the better.
Well, okay. Thank you for listening to The Past and the Curious. As always, I appreciate the fact that you tune in because it's a lot of fun to put together and I love to share it. So be sure to tell people about it. Leave us a review. Um, Anything you can do to help spread the word. We want to keep doing this. So I appreciate everyone's support out there. Um, And this also brings back a cool memory for me. I actually, I don't know, it was probably eight years ago, maybe. Um, I wrote with a friend of mine, I wrote a soundtrack to Buster Keaton's movie, The General, which uh, we then performed live with the movie. Remember, it's a silent movie, so there's nothing else going on. So uh, I I was part of a group of four musicians, and uh, we performed all of this music that um, my friend Rob Collier and I had written. Oh, I guess Joey wrote some too. So it was all three of us wrote music for it. And uh, it was awesome. It was really, really fun, and people really enjoyed it, and we really enjoyed doing it. So maybe someday I'll be able to do something like that again. I don't know. Fingers crossed, right? Hope everybody has a good new year. Uh, Happy January. Stay healthy. Stay warm. And I'll talk to you very soon. 